Good morning, everybody. How are we? All right. Happy Labor Day weekend. It's good to see still some faces, still people here, and uh, haven't gone out to the lake or doing whatever they are. So glad to see you guys here. I want to say welcome to everyone, to uh, all of our campuses, or anyone that might be listening today. Uh, today actually marks right about the uh, about the halfway point through this Grace is Greater series that we are in the middle of. If for some reason uh, you've missed the last uh, week or two, um, I'd highly encourage you. Uh, you can go online. You can listen to those. Uh, Matt did a great job of kind of kicking us off kind of painting a picture uh, really of what grace is and what it does. And so I'd encourage you to do that. Also, uh, next week, we are excited. Um, we have invited Damien Spickerite from Ozark Christian College to come back and speak. Uh, many of you may remember him. He came and spoke in January. Actually has done a number of things uh, with his church. Great friend of our church, and so uh, really excited about that. You won't want to miss that. Um, but this morning... We're going to find ourselves in Matthew 18, so if you've got your Bibles, you can go ahead and get there. Um, if you don't have one, there should be one in a seat nearby somewhere, so uh, go ahead and uh, get there. Um, but today, actually, we find ourselves um, perhaps in a unique place in this series, um, and definitely, I think, in a unique place. Uh, uh, place in Scripture. Uh, there are times when we read through Scripture when we are left simply to marvel at the greatness of God. Uh, I think of places in the Bible like uh, at the very beginning in Genesis where we see uh, God's creation and there was nothing and yet God spoke and just by the very power of his word, he spoke and all things came into existence. Or we go all the way to the end of the Bible and we see in Revelation where we have this picture of the hope of eternity that we have together and we see people from every nation, tribe, and tongue together just singing the praises of the glory of God and we as God's people have no other response except to sit in amazement and sing out, my God, how great thou art. Um, but then there are other times in Scripture where we come to uh, places that, uh, that I kind of refer to as like gut-check passages, you know? We see these things like uh, when Jesus tells stories about uh, sheep and goats, um, or he might say something difficult like, if you really want to follow me, uh, you've got to lay down your life. And sometimes these passages can be really hard for us to come to, and yet at the same time, we also see that it is a beautiful grace and mercy of our God that he would still call us and beckon us to come closer and closer to him, even when it hurts. And yet there's other times still, I think, when the word of God, uh, in essence, places a fork in our road, Right? Uh, when we get to this place and we realize that like, you know, business as usual isn't good enough anymore, we have to make a choice. We either have to choose to go this way or to go that way. We have to live according to God's will or to our own will. We have these times when we have to look at ourselves and take a really hard, honest look at the nature of our own heart and make a choice. And um, perhaps you faced a time in your life that you can think of when you were forced to make a choice and how you were going to live moving forward. Um, but today in the scripture, in this passage that we're going to be in, I think, um, <clears throat> I think that if we read it correctly, we find ourselves at all three. Uh, see, when we see the, uh, the incomparable uh, grace and mercy of our God and King, and yet Jesus is going to say some things to us that, in essence, demand that all those who would choose to follow him make a choice. And so uh, my hope is that today, as we come to Scripture, that we'll see both the beauty of our God and King, and yet, at the same time, that we would have open eyes, open ears, and open hearts 
to hear what God would have to say to us. So we're going to dive in in just a minute, but first, would you go to God in prayer with me? God, thank you for your word. God, thank you for your uh, truth that you have spoken to us. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who when you gave us truth, God, you did not just give us a proposition or a statement, but you gave us a person. And so, God, in these few moments that we have together, uh, I ask that you would uh, give us eyes to see, that you would give us ears to hear, and that you would give a heart ready to listen, uh, to hear your word, your truth, uh, and to respond. I thank you for your son, Jesus, and it is his name that God's people said, amen. Um, there is a pastor and an author, a guy named Gary Enrig, who uh, tells a story of a man who was uh, once bitten by a rabid dog. Well, after uh, they discovered this, they rushed him off to the hospital um, to perform lots of tests. And after doing all these tests, they discovered that uh, this man actually had contracted rabies. Now, this was before uh, medicine had any way of treating this at the time, before they could do anything about it. And so the doctor had the, uh, the difficult job of having to go and, uh, uh, and relate the news to this man that uh, his condition was, in fact, going to be uh, terminal. And so the doctor went to him and he, and he said, Sir, we'll, we'll do all that we can to make you comfortable, um, but I can't give you false hope. There is nothing we can do. And so my best advice to you would be to put your affairs in order as soon as you can. And of course, the man obviously was shocked uh, at the news, um, but after a little while, he was able to compose himself, and so he asked for uh, a pen and some paper. And so he got it and he began uh, just furiously scribbling down uh, notes on the piece of paper. And, and about uh, an hour later, the doctor came back into the uh, room and he saw him still there uh, writing very vigorously. And uh, he said to him, I'm, I'm glad to see that you're working on your will, the doctor said. And the man responded to him. He said, this ain't no will, doc. This is all the people I'm going to bite before I die. <laughs> I think, you know, that's, um, that's kind of a funny story to us. But you know, unfortunately, there are a lot of people who kind of go through life with this sort of attitude, aren't they? Maybe, maybe even sometimes some of us can, uh, can do that. You know, uh, there might not be like a piece of paper with some names in, hidden in a desk drawer somewhere in our office, uh, and yet it can be easy sometimes for us to walk around uh, carrying and harboring feelings of bitterness, of anger, uh, frustration, or even deep hurt because of the people in our lives who have wounded us. Uh, last week, Matt talked about how uh, God's grace is greater than anything that we have done, uh, greater than any sin that we could uh, possibly commit. God's grace is greater than that. Uh, and we walked through the story of the prodigal son, if you were here and remember that, and how uh, that illustrates this great picture of God's uh, an incomparable grace and love and mercy to his people when we would uh, turn to God that his grace is greater than anything that we could possibly have done. And that is reason to celebrate. Uh, because we love forgiveness, to have our, our sins just completely wiped clean, to have our debt completely canceled, free of charge. But the question is, what happens when we didn't mess up? What happens when somebody has hurt you? In those times, it becomes really, really easy, doesn't it, to start loving God's justice more than his mercy. 
And what we want is maybe not necessarily grace, but what we want is uh, for retribution, for things to uh, be made uh, right. Uh, C.S. Lewis, uh, if, you've, uh, if you're familiar with him, uh, in one of his famous books called Mere Christianity, he wrote this phrase that says, everyone thinks forgiveness is a lovely idea until he has something to forgive. That's true, isn't it? See, God's grace becomes a lot more difficult to us when we are hurt. In fact, sometimes I might even dare say that grace can be offensive. I know that sounds kind of strange, like uh, grace, offensive. How could, how could grace and forgiveness possibly be offensive? And yet we see people respond this way often, right? We see people say, say things like, if God is so good, how could he possibly have let these bad things happen to me? And, and even more, how could God possibly let that person get away with what they've done to me? Because when we're hurt, when we are broken, it's easy to get bitter, to get resentful, and it's not so easy to give grace anymore. But what we find today in our passage is that God's grace is greater even than my brokenness. Uh, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 18. So if you want to go ahead and turn there. Um, we uh, find this familiar story of Jesus. For anyone who's been in the church for uh, any number of time, uh, you've probably heard this story uh, before. It's a, a story that Jesus tells us about forgiveness. Uh, and he uh, tells these stories or these Parables, oftentimes, in response to maybe an attitude, like the Pharisees have some self-righteousness or anger in their hearts, and so he tells them a story where oftentimes, like today, he tells these parables in answer to a question. Today, he's answering a question from Peter. It seems like it's always Peter, doesn't it? And so Peter asks this question, actually another famous question that we hear, but we can't overlook the fact that Peter's question came from a teaching that Jesus just made. And so in order to kind of understand the context and set the scene here, let's back up just a little bit before our story today, and we're going to be in 18, uh, chapter 18, verses 15 through 17 is where we'll begin. Jesus is teaching, and he starts out with this. He says that if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault, just between the two of you. Now if they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. But if they still refuse to listen, then tell it to the church. And then if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Now in this particular passage here, we have uh, what the church might call like a, a blueprint for how to deal with uh, sin in the church when people have wronged you and people have done something uh, bad. This is how we're to address this or handle this in the church. And rightly so, because God is all about forgiveness, isn't he? And so this isn't just something to uh, write people off, but this is how we deal with these uh, frustrations, with these hurts, with these sins in the church. And actually, uh, if you notice in here, the whole purpose uh, isn't even just about discipline. Every bit as much as it is about discipline, it is also about forgiveness. Did you notice that? It's not just an excuse to write people off. If somebody sins against you, then uh, just write them off or you know, post bad things about them on Facebook or whatever it is that you want to do. But instead, actually, he's giving every single opportunity that he can for restoration and reconciliation. Not once, not twice, three times here. If they will come and repent, then please offer forgiveness. That is what is at Jesus' heart. And actually, for the most part, interestingly enough, Peter pretty much gets it. 
It's not just about discipline, but this is about grace. And so Peter asks a question to follow up. That verse 21, Peter asks the uh, famous question here. He says, Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Shall I forgive them up to seven times? See, Peter understands that this just isn't about writing people off. This is about forgiveness. And so he asks the question to Jesus and even proposes an answer. Now, if uh, you're really familiar with the Bible, you know that Peter's often, you know, doing kind of dumb things and getting it wrong and, you know, kind of the, the guy that always sticks his foot in his mouth, right? And so it's easy to look at this and go, oh, Peter, he's just saying another thing and sure, Jesus is going to correct him. And he does. But what Peter's saying here is actually um, pretty gracious and pretty generous for the day. So he says, shall I forgive my neighbor up to seven times? Uh, now, the Old Testament is full of forgiveness, and we see that the forgiveness is at the heart of God even all through the Old Testament. But there was extra teachings by the rabbis, and the tradition of this day was that uh, if somebody sins against you, you should forgive them once, yes, forgive them twice, even forgive them a third time, but after that, they're done. No more. And so when Peter says, shall I forgive them up to seven times, the people around him would have thought, man, Peter, that's, that's awfully generous. You, you, you doubled and, and then added some more here. But in essence, uh, Peter's asking Jesus, Jesus, I get that you're talking about forgiveness here, and, and, I, and I understand your heart, but can you tell me what does forgiveness look like? What should it look like in my life? And so Jesus responds, he says in verse 22, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Wow. That's a lot. 77 times. Has anybody ever forgiven somebody for the same thing 77 times? Okay, well, you're not doing what Jesus told you to do. Yeah, that's hard, right? That's a lot. 77 times, that's, uh, that's uh, just absolutely crazy. In fact, if you read in some versions, the, the Greek is a little uh, difficult to interpret here. It can mean a couple of things. In some versions, it actually says 70 times seven times. Perhaps you've heard that before. So 70, and it's, you know, it's been a while since I've done math, but I think that's around 490. That's a whole lot of times. So the question is, is Jesus trying to put some numerical value on our forgiveness here? No, the point is that our forgiveness has no limits. If one would come to us in repentance and ask for our forgiveness, our forgiveness has no limits. Hmm. Now, in my human nature, I kind of want to say, well, well, Jesus, that's, um, that's all good and well, but, you know, can you, can you explain a little bit, like, what do you mean by no limits? You mean, like, not many limits, like, not a whole, like, what do you mean by, you know, none limits, exactly none? And so, Jesus, and the only way that Jesus can, tells a story. And so in verse 23, we read this. He says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. And since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. Now at this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. And the servant's master took pity on him. And he canceled the debt and let him go. Now that is a good story. 
We love that story. We see uh, in the king this, uh, a picture of our heavenly father, and we see just this grace, this graciousness that he has towards his servants, towards you and me. And, and, and we love that. We love this picture of grace of our God. It's wonderful. We all like this. Uh, but you know, sometimes even, uh, we can see that, yes, this is at the heart of God, but sometimes we even miss the full extent of things in the scripture because of our cultural differences, right? Like, uh, you know, what's a, what's a talent or a bushel or, a, you know, a, a, a cubit or a, all these kinds of things? And so to give a little bit of uh, comparison, We'll look at a denarius here in a couple of verses. Uh, a denarius is about a day's wage. So if uh, just a regular day, labor, day laborer, just somebody who shows up, they clock in at the beginning of the day and they clock out, they would get paid at the end of the day a denarius, the amount of uh, money you get paid just for a full day's work. Now a talent, what we saw here, is equal to uh, not 20 days worth of work, but a talent is, is worth approximately 20 years worth of wages. 20 years. This is the largest denomination of currency they have. And so when Jesus says that uh, he owed 10,000 talents, he's giving the largest numerical uh, number that they have uh, times the largest denomination of money that they have. If you do the math on that, this is roughly about 200,000 years of labor. Well, that's a lot. Kind of an astronomical figure, and the people there would, they would get the point, like he's giving the biggest possible, like this is just absurd. It's almost kind of like if Jesus were saying to us today, oh, a, a, a man owed a king uh, roughly about $11.7 billion, right? Like this is just, you know, an impossible number. Like this is just completely astronomical. This is completely and entirely impossible, this debt. Much like the debt that you and I owe our king. Are you starting to get the parallel here? See, uh, there is nothing that we could ever possibly do to repay our debt to our king. In fact, through the Bible, we realize that what we have earned, the wages of our sin, is death. And without Christ, we have no hope. We can't earn it. We can't deserve it. We can't repay it. It is impossible. And yet, the man says, Please, please have patience with me and I will repay back everything. And everybody who's hearing this story knows that's never, ever going to happen. And so what does the king do? Uh, you know, he doesn't look at him and he goes, okay, well, let me see, you owe 10,000 talents, so uh, all right, I'll work out a monthly payment plan with you. So let's see, what's uh, monthly payments uh, times compound interest over 200,000 years? I think you owe me possibly. No, he doesn't do that. What does he do? The man asked for extra time, but instead what he gave him is complete and total forgiveness. He wiped his debt clean. And don't miss this point, church. So, so if the man had this huge, uh, huge, incredible debt, 10,000 talents, he had this incredible burden of debt, and yet the king forgave it. So, so who takes then the burden of this man's debt? The king himself. That is amazing. The one who has been offended pays the price of the offender. That is a picture 
of grace. And what I love here too is, is did you see the motivation for why the king forgave everything? Did you catch that in the story? Why did the king forgive him? It wasn't because he was just moved by annoyance. Here's this guy and he won't leave me alone and he's just tugging at my shirt and he just, please forgive me and so, oh, whatever, just, just, just go away. No, he, he's not motivated by annoyance. In fact, he's not even motivated by understanding that what this man is asking for is completely futile. Just give me time, just give me time, king, please, and I'll, and I'll repay it. And that's never, ever going to happen. I know that he can't repay it, so I might as well just let him go. Even selling everything he has, he's not going to put the slightest little dent, so there's no purpose at all. Might as well just let him go. No, that's not why he was moved. Did you see it in the story? He was moved by taking pity and compassion on the man. Isn't it great to know, church, that our hope isn't in ourselves, in some ability of our own to repay some impossible debt, but instead our hope rests in the unchanging nature of a God and King whose love and mercy is greater than all of our debts. And I don't know about you, church, but for me, that's good news. And it's in these moments where we stand in awe at the inexhaustible grace of God. And actually, I kind of wish that the uh, story stopped here, don't you? Like we had a nice little, and they all lived happily ever after, and they moved on and went on about their ministry. Um, But instead, Jesus keeps going. So in verse 28, he continues. He says, But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. And the fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me, and I will pay it back, much like he had said. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. And when the other servants saw what happened, they were outraged. And they went and told their master everything that had happened. The people, the community was shocked, and I think rightly so. Not uh, just at uh, this man and his callousness necessarily, or that he was you know, overstepping his boundaries, because actually, legally, the man had the right to do what he had done. So why are they so shocked? Why are they so outraged? It's because this man was living inconsistently with the way he had been treated. In essence, they saw the man's hypocrisy and it bothered them. And so let me ask us today, church, what outrages us today? What causes us to be upset? Are we more bothered when we see a a sinful world living sinfully? Or, Or are we more upset when we see people who have been forgiven unwilling to extend grace to other people. Does that bother you? Do we get upset about that, about being a church of people who are our, 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 our greatest goal, our greatest value is the grace of God, and we see that sometimes not being extended? To, does that bother anybody else? Because that's what bothers them here. See, all through the Gospels, we find Jesus extending grace to sinners. In fact, the people that he had the biggest problem were the Pharisees. The people who put uh, an enormous burden on these people that the Pharisees themselves couldn't even handle. These people who were so self-righteous that they wouldn't allow grace to those who needed it. Why? Because we innately understand 
that if you've been given grace, you should extend grace. People just know that. Or maybe another way to put it, perhaps you've heard the phrase, forgiven people forgive people. So maybe it's time for a gut check for us, church. Where are our hearts? But Jesus continues here. And in verse 32, he goes on. He says, the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? The Greek word there actually says, wasn't it necessary? And so in anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. And then Jesus finishes with this. And this is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. So now, church, we have a choice. There's a fork in our road, and we have to make a decision. See, Jesus isn't just talking about some hypothetical servant a long time ago in a land far, far away. He's talking about you and me. It's very plain here. Will we forgive others? Sometimes it's kind of easy for us to, you know, downplay forgiveness or be like, you know, what's the big deal if I just hold a, a, you know, a little grudge here or there? No big deal. I'm probably never going to see them again. So, you know, no big deal. And yet apparently to Jesus, this is like the central element of our faith here. If you don't forgive others, if you're not willing to extend grace, then we have no hope of receiving that from our own Father. And before we think that this is like some, you know, little isolated teaching in some deep, dark, you know, corner hiding in a closet somewhere else in the Bible, this is consistent with everything that Jesus teaches about forgiveness. Like I look at, you know, earlier in this book in Matthew chapter 6, we read uh, about the Lord's Prayer, right? And many people have memorized the Lord's Prayer and we, and we say that. Sometimes we recite it at night before we go to bed or, or wherever it is. And we love the Lord's Prayer, but not as many people have memorized the couple verses that come immediately after that. And in Ma- Matthew six fourteen and 15, Jesus says, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins... Your Father will not forgive your sins. Or how about in Mark chapter 11, verse 25, and Jesus is teaching, and he says, And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against someone, forgive him, so that your Father in heaven may forgive your sins. Church, this isn't just some small deal. This is a big thing. And perhaps some of us need to start seriously questioning where our heart is and are we willing to step out and offer forgiveness to those of us who need it in our life? Oh, but, but Jared, they never asked for forgiveness. Okay. Did Jesus wait for you to ask forgiveness before he went and died on the cross for you? Is, is that how it works? No, church, we have to be a people who extend grace. And so we have, to, we have to pause here also and answer another question. Uh, so if Jesus is saying that um, if we won't forgive others and God won't forgive us and maybe forgiveness is that, like, like is this like implying a works-based salvation here? Like, you know, we have to do this in order to get our salvation? Is that what we're saying? Because after all, we're saved by grace through faith, not by works, right? Isn't that true? So, so is, that, is that what this is saying here? Well, 
No, I don't think so. Yes, it's very true. We cannot earn our salvation. In fact, the man had his debt canceled free of charge. But we also have to understand this, church, that a person cannot at the same time recognize our own complete and utter need for grace while at the same time demanding that others earn it. It does not work like that. In fact, a person who would do that has not really truly experienced the real grace of God. As Kyle Eidelman puts it, grace isn't really grace unless it flows. In other words, forgiven people forgive people. So if we're going to be people with a heart after Jesus, we have to be willing to let go of our grudges, let go of our resentments, and give grace to others as well because that's what Jesus has done for us and that's what he calls us to do. Now I also understand that that's a lot easier said than done. Right? Because many of us have been hurt in very difficult and hard and dark ways. And sometimes it's hard to let go of that. Sometimes it's incredibly hard to move past that. So, what do we do? How, how do we forgive people from, uh, and not just on the exterior, but how do we, as the passage say, forgive people from our hearts? And church, I know that this is a difficult thing. I, I, I get that, but I just want to encourage us to do, to do two things. And the first is this, is to remember the grace that you have received. See, we, we recognize that we're all sinners and that we've all fallen short of the uh, glory of God. But sometimes we also look at our forgiveness as a thing of the past, right? Oh, well, that was, a, that was an old me and that's all done away with and there's, there's a new me now. And yes, that's true, we're made new creations in Christ. But, but that grace was an was a old thing and, and that was from far ago. But we've got to remember, church, that the grace that we've received isn't just for our past, but it is also for our present that we are constantly in need of God's grace daily, and we have no hope, not just for our past, but for our present and our future without him. In fact, Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 7. See, that though we are being transformed into Jesus' image daily, we still struggle to put our sinful nature to death, right? And it is only by God's grace that we press on. Only by God's grace. Uh, John Bradford understood this well in the 1500s. He saw uh, a group of men, prisoners actually, that were being led off to their execution for crimes that they had committed. And reflecting on his own need for salvation, reflecting on this sinfulness in his own life, he saw uh, people who weren't maybe so different than him after all. And so looking at them, uh, recognizing that he was really no better than any of these men, he uttered that uh, famous phrase, maybe many of you have heard it. He looked at them and he said, There, but for the grace of God, go I. Can I read a, a little story to you? Um, in the book, based on the series that we're doing, Kyle Eidelman tells this story in Grace is Greater. He says this, he says, Once I heard a pastor named uh, Jean Leroux talk about doing some work with a ministry called Love in Action which is for people who are caught up in sexual addiction. Gene tells about sitting in one of the group meetings. He had never been to something like this, and he wasn't sure what to expect. There was a good-sized group of men who had gathered together. Uh, one went to the front to share his story and talked about driving home from work and passing an adult nightclub. 
I really wanted to stop, he said. And when he said this, uh, a bunch of hands went up into the air. Now, Gene didn't know what was happening. He thought, who would ask a question during a story like this? But the guy continued his story. I didn't want to, but I pulled in the parking lot and went in. Again, some of the guys in the crowd raised their hands. The man went on. I spent the evening there. And he confessed uh, some of what he did, and again, some hands went up. And he said, when I left, I felt so ashamed, I didn't think that God could love me. And at this point, almost every hand in the crowd, except for Jean's, went up in the air. He couldn't figure out what all the questions were about, and for that matter, why none of the questions were being asked or answered. The director stopped to speak with him afterwards. You look troubled, he said. And Jean admitted, I am troubled. Why were there so many questions, and, and why didn't anyone try to answer them? But the director said, I oh, know, you don't understand. We have one rule at Love in Action. You never struggle alone. So if you have ever struggled with the same thing that someone else is confessing, you have to raise your hand. And he goes on to say, this needs to happen in our churches so that no one misses the grace of God. People need us to raise a hand, not point a finger. They need to hear, me too. I'm broken too. Maybe as the church has forgiven people who have received grace, people who uh, need to remember that we are all broken and we have no hope outside of the grace of Christ. And when we become a me too kind of people, then we can allow the grace of God to flow through us into forgiveness for others. So remember the grace that you have received. But secondly, I'd also say, don't just remember the grace you've received, but remember what grace cost. Uh, sometimes we have a tendency to minimize the things that we have done, right? Um, you know, well, they did this, and I, and I know I did this, but, but that's not that big of a deal, right? We make excuses for our be behavior. We try and justify it in certain ways. Well, well it wasn't really that big, of an that big of a thing. We're quick to offer excuses or justify our actions. Uh, and, it, and it may very well may be that someone has wounded you in ways that you would never even think about doing. And in those times, it, it almost kind of sounds right and good in our hearts to say like, well, you know, I'm not perfect and I've messed up uh, and I need, I need grace too, but you have no idea what they've done to me. And you're probably right. I have no idea. You know, as many people uh, as are listening right now, uh, I have to assume that there are people in here who have been hurt very deeply in your past. And I, and I promise you that I am not trying to make light of your experiences. But I think about what it took for God to save a wretch like me. It was no less than God himself came down and he took my sin, he took my death so that I might have his life, so that I might clothe myself with Christ and be found in him. It cost no less than the blood of Jesus Christ. And I know that sometimes it is difficult for us to forgive. But church, let us not forget that the same power of God to save me can also enable me to forgive others. So church, what will we choose? I hope that we will be a me too 
kind of a people and that we will trust in God to bring about our healing and our restoration because grace is greater even than our brokenness. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for Jesus Christ who came and gave his all so that we may be found in you, Father. But God, I know that there are times in our lives where it is difficult, it is, uh, it is hard uh, to get past the hurts in our own life. Uh, Father, it's just the reality. My God, I pray that you would soften our hearts, that you would help us to look at others the way that you look at us and extend forgiveness, which we are all uh, completely and totally dependent upon your grace, Father. And there is no way that we can be made right with you without grace. So, Father, help us to forgive. Help us to walk in your light and your love and your truth. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.